Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Our text today is verses 7 through 13, but I, I want to read beginning with verse 1 just to sort of tie all of this together. So let us give attention as we hear the Word of God, and let us respond accordingly. And he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simeon, and, excuse me, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and, and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Amen. That sends a reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that we could be here and sit at your feet, much like Mary did. And as Matt already prayed this morning, Lord, I do pray that you would speak through me. I very much this morning feel the weakness and the humanity of my being but lord we also know that if i spoke the word of god perfectly uh, but it was done in my own strength and we did not have ears to hear as your people then it would be of no avail so lord we pray for your spirit's works and our hearts that we would hear these things and take them to heart receive them by faith lord i pray that you would use this word to humble us god we are very proud people, very confident in our abilities, as if they were ours and they were not given to us by you. Forgive us, God, uh, for the way that we think too highly of ourselves. And we pray, Lord, instead that we would rejoice in who you are and the things that you have given to us. Let us recognize, Lord, your wonderful gifts that you have given to us this day. May we delight and praise you uh, and delight in the things that you have blessed us with and not uh, sort of which is the word that you have given to us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the text, verses 1 through 6, and Jesus returning home to his hometown of Nazareth. And of course, you would think, I mean, here's an itinerant preacher from their hometown who's actually gotten quite a reputation for himself. Uh, he's a man who, who preaches, a man who... Uh, is doing these wonderful miracles. And I mean, the people had heard about these things. It's obvious from the text they mentioned that. And yet, that's not 
the welcome he got as he came and he preached in, in church on that Saturday morning. Uh, instead, they uh, responded with unbelief and with scorn. So much so that we read in verse 6, and he marveled, that is Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief, just to see the depth of their unbelief in him. And so we read at the last part of verse 6, and so he went about among the villages teaching. And sometime while Jesus was traveling around and he was teaching in these different villages, uh, we read in verse 7, and he called the twelve and began to send them out. Now, you have to understand that up to this point in time, the twelve disciples were just learning from Jesus, right? They were just following him. They were just observing him. Uh, so they really were just observers. But you know what? That's about to change. Jesus calls them to himself, and he says, I want you to go from spectators to preachers. And so he sends them out. And I guess in one sense, they get a chance to sort of see what they've learned, right? In, in one sense. And he sends them out on what we might call sort of a short-term mission trip. You know, it wasn't long-term, but just sort of a short-term uh, excursion. Um, and it's interesting as you, you think about this, in light of what you know of what's coming up after Jesus' death and resurrection, that one day Jesus will die. He will die on the cross, and he will be resurrected. And then he will be ascended into glory, where he is now, brothers and sisters, sitting at the right hand of the Father on behalf of the church, interceding for us. But before Jesus will ascend to glory, he will meet again with his disciples, right? And he will send them out. He will give them the great commission to go out and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It won't be a short-term mission trip. It'll be the real deal. Uh, but now, uh, what he's doing is, and by the way, this, that's the same great commission that we have today as, as the church, to go out and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. But here, Jesus is sort of giving them, if you would want to say, maybe a test run. He's sending his disciples out on sort of a preparatory missions trip. And so let's look at this this morning as the Lord sent out his apostles and how he still sends out his people today. And I want us to look at three things this morning. I want us to look at the mission that Jesus gives to his apostles and he gives to us as the church, the mandate that he gives, uh, and then also the message that they go out and they preach. And so let's look at those things this morning. First of all, verse 7, the mission. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Now, you have to understand that Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day did not typically send out their disciples to make other disciples. The rabbis themselves would travel great distances sometimes, as we read in Matthew 23, 15. They would travel great distances just to make one convert, but they didn't typically send out their disciples to do that. And so what Jesus did was sort of out of the ordinary, but it wasn't totally unexpected. If you look back at Mark's uh, gospel at ver uh, chapter 3, verse 13, uh, we sort of read where Jesus is, is calling his 12 disciples, or 12 apostles, and this is what we see in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So the very thing that he is doing now was always his intended purpose, that he would call them, that they would just be with him, 
that they would watch him, that they would observe him. They had not taught up until this point in time. They had not done a miracle like he had had, but they had seen him do it over and over and over and over. And so Jesus uh, summons the 12 to come to himself so that he can send them out. And, and I don't want us to miss that this morning because that's oftentimes what Jesus does, that he summons us to send us. Uh, I think oftentimes we like to read passages like Matthew eleven twenty eight that we talked about on Wednesday night where it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we love it when Jesus summons us to come to rest. And his rest is very real, and we're so thankful for that. But he doesn't always call us in that way. Sometimes he calls us, he summons us, so that he might send us. Out. And that's what we see here this morning. So let's notice a couple of things about this mission this morning. First of all, he sends them out two by two. Now, why two by two? Why not one by one? I mean, you'd cover a lot more territory, right? If you just send everybody out to a different village, you could cover twice as many villages and, and still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he does it two by two. And I, I would suggest to you one of the reasons for that is companionship and encouragement companionship and encouragement, especially when things get rough and difficult. Uh, if you remember when we were reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we came to that verse in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And I want to read that for you this morning. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. And this is a, a text that sometimes is used in regards to wedding services, and that's not inappropriate to use it that way. But listen now to God's word. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, no, has not another to lift him up. And so you can see where that would apply to marriage. But that also applies to ministry as well. And uh, we see here that it's a sense of encouragement as they go out and they face difficulties, which we will read later that they will have people who will not listen to them and who will scorn them as well. But also, it was to fulfill the requirements of the law, the Old Testament law, uh, for every testimony to be established by the words of at least two witnesses. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17.6, 19.15, Numbers 35.30. There is a sense in which there must be a witness to something to to validate that and so we see this practice really in the new testament over and over and over and over even john the baptist he wants to know if jesus is the one or should they look for another and so what does he do in luke 7 luke 7 18 he sends two disciples not just one i mean one could have found that out right but he sent two so that they could bear witness and testimony to what jesus said or in the early church in Acts 13, uh, uh, verses 2 and 3, where the church gathers together and they pray and the Holy Spirit moves within the church so that they call both Paul and Barnabas to go out and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that throughout the book of Acts and, and even in Paul's ministry today. Now, this is a good ministry or a good method for us today, even as we are sending out missionaries, as we are doing church plants and stuff. And, and I have to say in the PCA, I think we're realizing that more and more and more the need to have teams. Uh, because when two people go out together to share the gospel together, they can encourage one another. 
They can pray for one another and they can help one another stand in the evil days in which we live. And I, and I have to say, as a church planter, as a solo church planter myself, I, I, I read this text and I'm sort of convicted and I wonder if maybe I should have waited. Uh, I have a wonderful partner in my wife and she has been there with me and has helped me a lot in this church plant. And, and I appreciate that, but I just wonder if it would have been wiser to wait. I'm very thankful for where we are as Kirk of the Plains, and I have no regrets, but I can see the wisdom in this. And, and I just have to say, not to embarrass him, but I have to say Matt has been a tremendous blessing. And just when he came to me and said, Pastor Rick, I'm going to commit to come to Kirk of the Plains once a month and just be there and be an elder, and I want to help lead worship, and I want to do these things. And, and I, as I have had that help, just having a brother who would come and lead worship this morning, what a blessing that is and encouragement. And uh, it's, it's good to, to have that. So thank you very much. And, and this wonderful wife, Daphne, as well, who, who helps out so much and encourages. So Jesus sends them out two by two. But he also gives authority and power, verse 7. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, the Greek word there uh, that is translated uh, could be translated authority. Sometimes it's translated power. It's not the typical word for power, dunamis. It's, it's a different word than that. It really carries with it the idea of someone possessing the right to do a thing and having the power to carry it out. Now, maybe you have felt the opposite of that, right? You're at work. And your boss comes to you, and what's he do? He dumps more responsibility on you. But unfortunately, he doesn't always give you the authority or the power to carry out that work. And so it can be very frustrating. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus gives the call. He gives the mission to go out and to preach. But he also gives the authority as well. And in this case, he gives the authority over the unclean spirits. Now, if you would... if just turn back with me to Exodus chapter 4. Um, Exodus 4. You'll, you'll see that um, Moses has just been called by God to go and to basically meet with Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And in Exodus 4, verse 1, uh, we sort of pick up where Moses sort of pushes back with God. Okay, that's always a gutsy move, right? Pushing back with God. But he pushes back and he says, but God, what if Pharaoh doesn't listen? And the Lord says to him, and I'm not reading as you know, I'm just sort of summarizing here. You know, God says, what's that in your hand? And he goes, well, it's my staff. And he says, throw it down. So he throws it down. And what happens? It becomes a snake. And so Moses sort of jumps back in surprise. And God says, bend down and touch its tail. And he does. And he grabs its tail and it becomes a staff again. And then the Lord has him put his hand in his cloak. And he pulls it out and has leprosy. He puts it back in and, and it pulls it out and it's clean. And then God tells him to go and get uh, water from the Nile River and pour it on the ground. And what happens? It becomes blood. And, and why does God do that? Well, we sort of talked about this last week, that the purpose of miracles in both the Old and the New Testament is to authenticate the messengers of God. That when he comes and he meets with Pharaoh, that he not only can proclaim the word that the Lord gives him to say, but God can back that up with miracles to show that he has come from God, And so as, as these uh, 12 go out, Jesus gives them the power. He gives them the authority to do these miraculous things so that as they're preaching this message 
It has the validity that they come from God. So Jesus imparts his power to those who represent his name and teach his truth. And we see in verse 13 that these very things happened. It says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so we see that manifestation of the power of Jesus, not only in the preaching, but also in the miracles as well. Now, brothers and sisters, we don't need that today. We, we don't need that kind of validation because God has given us his word in the Bible. And the canon is closed. And, and he has given that. So we can just share this as, as the word of God. And yet, having said that, we still are sent out with power and authority. Maybe in a, a little bit different way. Uh, for us, we have the power of the word of God. Now, don't just hear that and go, yeah, I know. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is power in the word of God that he has given to us? Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, brothers and sisters, when we go out to witness, we are not just sharing our own opinions or our own experiences or our own truth. We are sharing the revelation from God. And I don't know about you, but that ought to be something that ought to uh, sort of charge you up in essence. That when you stand there, it's just not like, okay, well, this is what I think. And I want to share with you what I think. You are saying, this is what the God who has created you and all these things around you wants to say to you. This is the message that he has given to you. And so I stand and I preach, or you go and you share the words of God because they are from him and he has given those to you and so we have first of all the power of the word of god but we also have with us the power of the holy spirit as well at the end of luke's gospel the disciples are given the great commission and then in luke's second volume which is called we call it the book of acts right uh, jesus orders his disciples not to depart from jerusalem he says don't go out and start fulfilling this great commission yet. As a matter of fact, just stay in Jerusalem and do that until you receive the promised Holy Spirit. Now, what do you mean promised Holy Spirit? Well, if you recall when, when Jesus was uh, teaching his disciples before his death, he, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, spoke to them quite a bit about the Holy Spirit and the ministry that would be given to them after he died and was, was resurrected. So turn to John 15, if you would, and uh, let me just read a few passages, if I could. John 15, 26. Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In other words, he's giving us the Spirit of God 
that will bear witness as we bear witness. We're sort of the human instrument. He is the divine instrument that, by which the gospel is, is preached. And then skip down to uh, chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. And Jesus goes on. He said, I tell you the truth. Uh, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Brothers and sisters, when we stand there in that encounter, whether that be at work, whether it's standing in our lawn talking to our neighbor, and maybe it's in the living room talking to our family members who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are telling them about Christ, we don't have to somehow you know, shake them and say, don't you people get this? We can't do that. We can't convince them. But God has given us His Holy Spirit who will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He is the one who opens their eyes. So no wonder Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, these New Testament believers needed the, the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission as we do as well. Just one last thing I might mention. Uh, last week I uh, referenced Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus talked about how I'm, I'm really sending you guys out amongst wolves. Okay? I don't know about you. If you ever feel like it's hard to share the gospel, yeah, it is. Jesus is sending us out amongst wolves. People that would like to just sort of tear us apart in one sense. And and Jesus goes on to talk about how they're going to drag you before rulers and they're going to examine you. But he said, don't worry about what you should say. He says, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So we must never forget that as we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not sharing our opinion. We are not sharing our view. We are not sharing only in, 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 uh, within the realm of our own abilities, but God is giving us power through His Word and His Spirit that we might proclaim that Word. So that's the mission that Jesus has. He also, though, gives mandates to His disciples as He gets ready to send them out in verses 8 to, through 10. Um, and first of all, they are told to take only the bare necessities with them in their journey. Look at verse 8 and 9. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and, and, to put on, and not to put on two tunics. Now, why does he say this? Well, I would suggest there's, there's two reasons. Because we would look at this and go, well, that just doesn't apply to me. Actually, it does. Uh, first of all, uh, he is, Jesus is showing them their dependence upon him. Okay, their dependence upon him. They're, they're not to take anything to feed themselves, not even money. Uh, they, they weren't to take a second tunic, which would normally be used to cover up at night. If you had to sleep out under the stars, it was sort of like your sleeping bag. Uh, but instead, they were to trust God for his provision. Uh, even if you look at verse 10, even as they enter towns, they were to trust that the Lord would provide someone who would open their home to let them come in and stay with them. Uh, we read in verse 10, whenever you enter a house, Stay there until you depart from there. Now, he was saying in essence, whichever house you guys go into when you first get into town, just stay there the whole time that you're there. 
Don't be looking around for a better place to stay or a better offer. Be satisfied with the Lord's provision that he has given to you. And also respect the host who has opened their home and shown hospitality to you. And so Jesus is really insisting here on a radical commitment to, to be humble as they go out, to have simplicity and trust the Lord for his provision for their daily needs. And, and uh, this is a, a good word that we need to hear today, brothers and sisters, especially for those of us who the Lord has called in to what we call full-time Christian ministry. I mean, every Christian uh, really fits that category. But for those who have vocational ministry or whatever term you want to put, pastors, missionaries, other people need to hear this, that we should not be in the ministry for what we can get out of it. We should be not be trying to climb the ecclesiastical ladder of success. I remember being in seminary, and one of my seminary, actually several of my seminary professors brought this up. I think it was a really important thing we needed to hear. He said, you know, it's interesting how the Lord never calls a man to a smaller church. It's always to a bigger and bigger and bigger church. It's always to a better, better, better position, a more reputable position, a more lucrative position. He goes, man, that is not the case. Stop it. He said, go where the Lord wants you to go. Don't use this to better your life. You know, and the Christian life is not about being comfortable. Our duty is to take whatever the Lord gives us with a heart of gratitude and learn to be content with the things He provides. I mean, we, we see that in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, quite extensively about this idea of commitment. But also Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Uh, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's very important. The reason why we can be content is because the Lord is always with us. He knows our needs. He will give us that which we need. God says, trust me to provide what you need. I think it's interesting uh, as Jesus sends out the disciples, then they come back in a Luke. Luke's account in chapter 22, verse 35, after Jesus sends out the 12, he's speaking to them. And Jesus says, when I sent you out with no money bags or, or knapsacks or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. You know, because the Lord gives us all that we need. Practice, he wants us to practice simplicity, be humble, and trust that the Lord will provide all that we need. But there's also not just that sense of, of provision in this, these, this text as well, but there's also a sense of urgency, of travel light. You know, don't, don't pack up the motor home and take half of your household with you and then go out. He said, go now. Just take the bare necessities, get on the road, go out and preach. And we expressly see this in Luke chapter 10, verse 4. This isn't the account of the 12 being sent out. It's the account when Jesus sent out 72. Okay, but still, it's, it parallels what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 6. And we read in Luke 10, 4, he tells the 72, Carry no money bag, no knapsacks, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In other words, don't stop. Don't dilly-dally around. Get to it, guys. Uh, there's a sense of urgency here. I think it's interesting that many commentators, I'd say most, at least that I've read, uh, really sort of tie this passage in uh, or at least find an allusion to the first Passover in the Old Testament. 
And if you remember in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, we read, In this manner you shall eat it, you shall eat the Passover, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And you're going, why? It's a meal. Why do we have to be so prepared? But the Passover was a sign of God's impending judgment upon Egypt. And the people were to eat in haste with their belts fastened and their sandals on and their staff in their hands because as soon as the judgment came, as soon as the firstborn died, then they were to be ready to leave the land of Egypt. And the disciples too were to be in a hurry, letting people know of the impending judgment that would come upon them and calling people to repentance. Everyone was to be ready for the coming of God's kingdom. And in light of His coming, Jesus and His disciples were calling people to repent. So Jesus commands His disciples to take the bare minimum to go. So there's that sense of urgency, that sense of dependence upon the Lord as they go out. But Jesus also, and I think this is so great, maybe, you've, maybe you do this as parents. If you do, kudos to you. But you know, sometimes you know what your kids are going to encounter in life, right? Like for example, puberty. You know, we're not going to talk about puberty this morning, but you know, you know it's coming. So, you know, it's really nice as parents, if you give your kids a head up about the changes that are going to happen in their body and stuff like that. And I know that Robbie and I would try to do that with different things in life. When they got their first job or went to, you know, higher education or whatever it was. And just say, hey, these are some of the things you might encounter. And I know our kids came back, maybe not at that moment, but later on in life they would come back and they'd say, thank you so much for giving us a heads up as to what was going. That just really helped us to know how to handle those things. So we appreciate that. Well, that's sort of, in a sense, what Jesus is doing here. And in verse 11, he tells them how to respond when the message will be rejected. When they go out and they preach, I mean, they were ecstatic because they came back and wonderful things happened. But there were people who rejected them. And Jesus says in, in verse 11, And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, to us, that might sound a little strange. One, we don't walk around with sandals on dirt roads and things like that. But in this culture, actually, this practice of shaking dust off was very... They would shake off their clothes and they would shake off the dust of their sandals to represent a total disassociation from the pagans that they were just around and the pollution of their land. And so when Jesus gives this command, he told his disciples to do this as a sign that those who rejected God would face a harsh judgment someday. I mean, so harsh that, that it says that their punishment would exceed the judgment that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Sodom and Gomorrah just had Lot that came and preached to them in one sense. But here, they have Jesus Christ. They have the Son of God. They have the gospel that has come. And so they would face a harsher judgment for rejecting His offer of salvation. Now, the primary message that the disciples uh, gave was one of hope and one of salvation. And we'll see that in just a minute in the last point. However, those who rejected the offer of salvation were given a message of judgment and damnation. So that leads us to our third point, and that is the message that they preached. We read in verse uh, 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now, 
I know that they said more than just repent, 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 repent. There was a whole message, but it's sort of summarized in that word of repent. Uh, repentance, and let me just, I, I just want to sort of explain this again. If you go, Pastor Rick, you always explain repentance. Well, I want us to get it, okay? So I'm just going to keep explaining it and reminding us. And if you don't need to know it, I need to know it, okay? Repentance is not the same thing as confessing. I think sometimes we get those things mixed up. To confess something is to admit it. Okay, so you confess your sins to God. You you admit that you have committed this sin before God. But repentance, while it starts with confession, it really goes much farther than confession. Uh, it, it doesn't end there. Repentance is really about a change. It's about a conversion in our actions, in our hearts. It literally means to stop heading down the highway towards sin and turn and move towards repentance or turn to the Lord. And, and the gospel is not just about confessing our sins, but Jesus does a whole transformation of our heart in our actions. Jesus has come to bring change to our lives. Now, brothers and sisters... I don't know about you, but that's good news. I, I, I really sort of get tired with myself sometimes and my struggle with sin and the things that I'm wrestling with. And so when I see the power of God at work in my heart, I am so thankful to, to God. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to God for His wonderful change and His sanctification that takes place in our hearts. And not only does He make us new creatures, but then He continues to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is truly good news. He has come to bring us into His kingdom, a kingdom that comes with power. And this is a power that converts us from people who love sin to people who love righteousness. We might still struggle with sin, but if your heart, if you still love sin, then you have not been changed. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is one where He changes us from loving sin to loving righteousness. And the transformation, obviously, uh, is not instant. Our forgiveness is instant. We come in faith and confess our sins and we are instantly forgiven. But our repentance and change is gradual. You know, we seek to turn from our sin in response to God's grace. And He works that change in our hearts over time. That change, though, we know will not be complete until the day when we close our eyes in death and we open them in glory and we're like Him. Now, I want to emphasize that, not only so you can rejoice in your own salvation, but also because the people that you share the gospel with, you might think, I can't picture this person being a Christian. Because we look at them as they are, not as Christ could make them. But we need to be reminded that His gospel message isn't just changing them a little bit, it is totally transforming them and making them new creatures in Christ. So yes, as they are, you can't imagine them in the pew at Kirk of the Plains. But as Christ can make them, as He works in their hearts to bring about repentance and faith in Him and trust, they very much can be worshipers of God. So don't let that hinder you, how you view people. Instead, say, Lord Jesus, let me see them as you see them and trust them. So anyway... So this is uh, um, the work that God does in us. And the message that they were preaching was really the same message that, that Jesus 
was preaching. In Mark 1.15 we read, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Is what Jesus taught. And that's what his disciples were as well. So the message that the disciples proclaimed is simply just an extension of the mission of Christ. Christ himself was reaching these towns and these villages through his disciples. And Christ himself continues to call people to himself through his disciples here in our generation amongst us. What we are doing is not just going out and sharing the gospel because Pastor Rick said it enough times that now I feel guilty and so now I need to go do something so I can get him off my back. No, it's really a sense of joining what God is doing in our world today to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the, those in bondage could be set free. It's not that Jesus' mission is over. It's, it's that as the Father has sent him, so now he sends us to go and to preach the gospel. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now I want us to take some time just to think about this a little bit. Okay? So my conclusion is going to be just a little bit longer. But I want us to reflect upon this a little bit and what this means for us. We, the church are called to bring this message to the world. The church is Christ's authorized representative and ambassador of the world. And so we uh, apply this passage to us, you know, um, and as we do so, we first of all are reminded that the task, the mission that we have been given is a tough mission. It's hard. There will be unbelief. There will be outright rejection. There will be people who are hostile to us. Now, some of you already are struggling to share your faith. You're saying, Pastor Rick, I don't want to hear that. But it is the truth. It is the reality. But it's not that they are rejecting us. They are rejecting Christ. They don't want to hear what God has to say. And, and sometimes people will reject us. And oftentimes they will reject us. And this is true of all sorts of people. And even people who are closest to us. Even our family members who have seen us walk with God in our lives, they often reject us. And it is amazing and sad that people who have seen God's transformation in other people's lives still reject the gospel. And the reality is that we stand as a testimony against them. We are a testimony against everyone who rejects us. Sadly, sometimes that's even against our family members. We might not... Uh, like shake the dust off our feet. That was something that they did only in the days of the disciples. Uh, but we do have God-given symbols of that sort of separation between us and the world. Uh, uh, um, we see even before us the Lord's Supper. Where we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's, it's exclusive to those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only for God's people. And it, it marks us out as God's people. And it calls everyone else to come to Jesus in faith and repentance if they don't know him. And as we share the message with others, brothers and sisters, I hope this passage would be encouraged, encouraging to you. Because Jesus sent out the disciples on an urgent mission to rely on God's divine providence to provide for them. And so that, that's, I don't know about you, but that is profoundly encouraging to me. Because it reminds me that it's not about puny little me, right? It's not about puny little me. It's not about this church plant called Kirk of the Plain. It, it's, it's not about fearful me. It's not about weak me trying to 
hold back the tide of evil in our society and go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's sometimes how we feel, is it not? As we go out and, and we're in the world and we, we seek to evangelize, it seems like an impossible task. I mean, what could I possibly do, you might be thinking? Or who can turn the tide? But it's not just me. And it's not just you. But it is Christ through you. It is Christ through me. Christ in you and through you in the world. And He sends us with authority in His name on His mission with His promise and power to proclaim His message. He is at work in us and through us as we go in obedience. So who, who can turn the tide? Who, who, who can go out and proclaim the gospel? Well, for sure it's not you and me. But Jesus can do that through us. He can still the storm. He can set the prisoner free. And so when you go, you go in his name and he goes with you. If you remember Jesus' words, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what? I will be with you always. To the end of the age. He'll be with us. So Christ's presence and power takes care of our weakness, brothers and sisters, as we look to Him by faith. If we say, Lord, I'm weak, but I trust that You will work through me, it takes care of our struggling. Sometimes it takes care of our uh, confused best efforts to make Jesus known. I mean, how many times have we gone out to share our faith and we didn't know how to start a conversation about Jesus? Or, or we didn't know how to answer. We were afraid that people would ask us questions that we couldn't answer. Or we were fearful that if we shared the gospel with someone, especially someone we knew, that it would change the relationship with the person that we're talking to in a negative way. That, that we had a fear of being rejected maybe ridiculed and, and shame. And, or maybe we're afraid that we would offend people because you go out and you share the gospel with someone who obviously doesn't bear fruit uh, any, of any sorts of being a Christian and you share the gospel and oh, they're offended because they go to church at XYZ Church down the road. There's no sense in which they have taken to heart the gospel message, but they are offended because they go to church. And we can be fearful of all those things. And in those times when we are more concerned that people will reject us than that they will reject Jesus, Jesus says, I am with you. And because Christ is present with us, he will take care of us in our weaknesses. And as he does that, then he gets the glory. Sinners get saved and the kingdom gets built up. And we stand back in awe and we say the Lord has done it and it is marvelous in our sight. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we do take great comfort from the passage that we read this morning. Uh, when we see the disciples, they're questioning you. As you're teaching, as you're performing these miracles, sometimes they, 
they seem to be not so different than the doubters. And they have questions and they don't understand what it is you're doing and they really don't understand who you are. And Lord, there are times when maybe we struggle with those things and we see our weakness and we just think, oh Lord, how would you ever use us? But yet, it was in their weakness that you sent them out with your authority and with your power and you did mighty and you did great things through them. And we pray today, Lord, that you would do the same with us as a church. God, that if we're terrified, we're trembling, that we would step out in faith and we would trust you. And just like when you called the disciples to go and you said you'd provide everything for them materially, you did. And we know, Lord, that you will provide all that we need. Oh, God, give us a, a love for you, a love for your um, for the gospel, but also, Lord, a, a love for those who are lost, that we might share Jesus with them. So help us, Lord, we pray. Uh, we ask these things in your name. Amen.